Starting out in Psalm chapter number 27, beginning in verse number 1, one of the things that we're looking at is that faith has no contingency plans. If you know what a contingency plan is, uh, it, it is where you're basically barter, bartering with someone or bargaining a deal. Faith doesn't make deals. Faith rests on what God says. Regardless of the consequences or circumstances or conditions, faith makes no contingencies. One of the reasons that we see so many people have anemic faith is because they place conditions on God. God is the one that makes conditions on us. God said, if you seek me, then you'll find me. We turn around and we say, I'll, I'll seek you if you do this. That's the wrong way to approach it. Faith doesn't have contingencies. And we're going to see the psalm here of David and beginning in verse number one. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This reminds me of the verse over in Romans. It says, if God be for us, who shall be against us? You see, David had a walk with God that most people don't have. When David saw Goliath, he saw something differently than what everybody else saw. When David saw Goliath, he just saw somebody standing in opposition to God. When everybody else saw Goliath, they saw an enemy bigger than themselves. And when faith is anemic, that's whenever we begin to see the enemy as bigger than ourselves. When, when our faith is anemic, when we've gotten into this place of conditional, contingent faith, then the enemy will actually begin to look bigger than he is. If God be for you, who can be against you? Amen? Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The enemy will oftentimes never come at you at a full frontal assault. It's always sneakily, it's always stealthily, it's always behind the scenes, it's always behind closed doors, in the shadows, in the darkness of night. That's when the enemy does his work on the saints of God. But we see here that, that David said, God's my light. Jesus said he is the light of the world. And nobody can follow him and live in darkness. If you follow Jesus and Jesus is in you, you have a light that this world does not have. It doesn't mean everything's going to be rosy. It doesn't mean that you're always going to have money in the bank. It doesn't mean your hair's always going to look beautiful. But what it means is that God will give you light in every single situation that you're in. God will impart to you spiritual things that this world cannot understand nor comprehend. God is my light, David said. He did not say, my youth is my light. He didn't say, my bank account is my light. He didn't say, my fine clothes are my light or my beautiful voice or the way that I can strum the harp or the way I can fling a rock. He didn't say any of that was his light. He didn't place his confidence in who he was. He placed his confidence in who his God was. 
So right out the bat, we see David has this walk with God that many people do not have in the church world. Many people look for light from circumstance instead of entering into the circumstance with the light of God. And when we see in our own lives, when we see in our own lives a tendency to make a conditional or a contingency on God before God will do something, we begin to shrink back from the light that God has for us. What you see here, David, David is, is telling us here that God is our light. God is our light. And the Bible says in 1 John, in him is no darkness, right? God is light and in him dwelleth no darkness. No darkness. And yet, so many times, believers feel like they live in the dark. They don't, well, you know, I thought it was supposed to be like this. I mean, I asked the Lord that my team would win the World Series, and they didn't do it. I don't know what God's doing. See, you done placed a contingency on God. And you wonder why there's darkness around you. When God is light... David is here showing us this path that he walked. This, David was the, uh, a warrior for God. He was a man after God's own heart. And there's never a shadow of turning with God. There's never a moment where he leaves you in darkness. In every situation, even if you find yourself in the bottom of the ocean, in the belly of a well, even if you find yourself in a cave all alone, God will be a light for you. God will be a light for you. Now, there's, cer there's certain times in our life when, when circumstantially there may be darkness around you. Maybe you're in a prison. Maybe you, you, you're in a home by yourself. Or maybe your body's failing you and you just feel like you're no longer in the vibrance of life, in the light of life. But I want you to know our light doesn't come from our situation or our circumstances or our condition. Our light comes from God. And it doesn't matter what the situation or circumstances is God is light so this this amazing passage he says here in in the second part he said when the wicked even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh they stumbled and fell do you know that David had many people come after him there were many people that placed a scheme to try to take David down it started from as a child all the way up into his old age. It was scheme after scheme after scheme. Whether it was Goliath or Saul or Absalom, it was always somebody coming against David. And he said, every time somebody came against me, my enemy fell. Why? Was David that skilled in battle? No, his God was his light. His God was his fortress. His God was his refuge and his shield. There were many times that he would enter into a battle, and I believe whenever he went up against Goliath, I don't think he had ever thrown a rock in a, in a giant's forehead before. I don't think he had the skill. I don't think that that was a thing. I don't think he had anything to go off of. It was just pure being motivated and led by the Spirit of God. 
And the same Spirit that guided Him will guide you when you come up into unforeseen territory, when you come up into a situation or a season that is unfamiliar, when you come up into a place that doesn't look normal and doesn't feel normal, it doesn't seem normal. But listen, God, if you're guided by the Spirit of God, He will be your light in that time. And I believe it was just lickety-split in a moment of time when David took off that armor from King Saul. He picked up those rocks. He didn't have time to draw in the dirt and figure out how far he needed to stand back and throw that rock, how hard he needed to do it. He didn't think about the dynamics of it. God was just giving him light to walk in, and he was being obedient, walking in the light, and he did what God told him to do. Every one of the enemies of David came and fell. Every single one of the enemies that came against him fell. I believe he could say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I believe he could say that his biggest enemy, though, was himself. I, I believe the bigger enemy that David faced was not Goliath, but it was David. David's biggest enemy was David. And if we're honest, our biggest enemy is self. Our biggest enemy more often than not is self. We, we, we blame a lot of things on the boogeyman. We blame a lot of things on, on, on other people when in reality a lot of times it, it should fall right squarely on us. One of the things that you see in David's life is that every single one of the external enemies fell, but it was who that caused David to fall the many times himself, his own sin. From the time that he numbered the army, to the time that he saw Bathsheba, it was David himself that caused himself to stumble the hardest. It wasn't, it wasn't Goliath. It wasn't Goliath's brothers. It wasn't Joab. It wasn't Saul. It wasn't Jonathan. It wasn't any of those people. It was this some guy named David. That was David's biggest enemy. Now we see here, he said that when the wicked... Even mine enemies and foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. They stumbled and fell. In other words, there's, and, and you need to know this, that as, as a believer, there is a, a, a bloodline as a believer that, that indicates you are God's. You are his purchased possession. And on that bloodline, the enemy cannot cross. He cannot reach past that blood and pull your sin back and hang it on your head again. He is the accuser of the brethren, but God's already dealt with it, and that bloodline cannot be crossed. Amen? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And David understood that principle. Now watch this in verse number 3. He said, Though, though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. Now, before we read verse 4, I want you to listen very closely. What David is saying is, if a host encamps against me, in other words, if the bottom falls out. Do you know what it's like when the enemy comes against you and the bottom falls out of your world? When you get the phone call you don't want to get, when you get into the circumstance you don't want to get in, when things begin to fall apart and, and you try to hold on and it just falls apart worse, it's like holding a wet paper sack. The more you pull on it, the more it falls apart. And, and, and when the enemy comes again, 
against you and he encamps against you and a whole host of army, the enemy comes against you, there's something that you can place your confidence in. And it ain't you. Nature, denomination, or your church is not what's between your ears, it's what's in your soul. David's confidence was not on a contingency plan that he put on God. David didn't say, I'll serve you if you do this for me, God. And how many people do that to God? How many people tell God they'll serve Him, they'll love Him, they'll, they'll honor Him, they'll worship Him, they'll serve Him at church, they'll do this in ministry, or they'll do that, or they'll give an offering, or they'll do this, as long as God does that. Contingency. Whenever you buy a house, you put up a contingency plan. I'll buy your house as long as mine sells. That's a contingency plan. You see, but whenever God calls you to Himself, He calls you to let go of you. He calls you to count the cost. Count the cost, take up your cross, and follow me, is what Jesus said. Daily. God has called us to take up our cross daily, counting that cost, whatever it is, and regarding Him as worthy. Regarding Him as worthy. One of the, one of the people that followed Jesus said, I want to follow you, just let me go bury my father. You know what Jesus' reply was? Oh, great, another follower. Let me wait on you. Sure, go take care of your family. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, look, you, you need to get on or get off. You need to get on or get off. And when it comes to self, the more that you indulge the self, the more self is enthroned over you. But we have to come to that place where we count the cost and we see Christ as more worthy, as Christ as, as, as more of what we desire than our own selves. And he says here, though a host encamp against me, this is what I'm going to put my confidence in. In this will I be confident. Now, if, 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 if you have a contingency thing on God, this is where it all falls apart. Because if you say, Lord, I'll serve you as long as you keep money in my bank account, or I'll serve you as long as you get me that house, or I'll serve you as long as you let me marry so-and-so, or I'll serve you as long as you help me do this, or help me do that. I've even seen people say, I'll serve the Lord if it'll help the Cowboys or Saints win the Super Bowl. That's all I want. Or I'll serve God if I can get a kid. You know, Lord, give me a kid. I'll, if you give me a kid, I'll serve you, Lord. Job taught us well. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. See, God, if you're open-handed, God can put things in and take things out. But what he's trying to get you to see is that the things he puts in and the things that he takes out are not more beautiful than himself. You hear that? He's the prize. He's the one more beautiful. He's the one more worthy. He's the one that our hearts should belong to, not the things of this life. And when people put contingency plans on God, what they're telling God is, there's something I want more than you. 
There's something more precious to me than simply serving you, hearing the call to let go of self, to take up my cross and follow you because you're worthy. There's something else I would rather have more precious than that. A car, a spouse, a kid, money, this, that, the other. Contingency. When you have a plan in place, when you have a, 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 an agreement, a bargain for God, do we really think God takes bargains? God gave us Jesus. That was it. If you want to come to God, it's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And you can't hold anything with you. you got to let all things go to come up to that cross. I love that old hymn that says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Nothing in my hands I bring means I'm not holding on to anything in this life. I'm just holding on to who Jesus is and who Jesus says I am in him. David said here that, that it, when the, how many of you know when the enemy encamps against you? <laughs> A lot of times our heart begins to fear. When the bottom falls out, we begin to think, what did we do wrong? We begin to think, why me? Why not sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so? Why is this happening to me? I, 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 I did this, I, and I didn't do that. And yet, the enemy's coming against me. Well, there's something that we sometimes forget. Something that we sometimes forget. If you belong to God, you're an enemy of the world. If you belong to God, you're an enemy of Satan. If you belong to God, you're an enemy of every demon that, that exists. And all the power of hell will encamp against you and will seek to take whatever low-hanging fruit it can. Whatever access, whatever avenues, whatever doors we've left open, the enemy will surely not pass by. The enemy's desire is to, to devour the child of God. And any door that we leave open, we have to think the enemy is not just simply going to walk past it. A thief may walk past your house on a night that you keep the door unlocked, but the devil won't. And I mean it spiritually. There's things in our lives that when, and whenever we begin to take our faith and we put contingencies on God, what we've done is we've left the back door open for the devil. I'll serve you if you. I'll honor you if you. I'll worship you if you. I know people that they won't come to church unless they can be center of attention. I'll come if I fill in the blank. I'll love you if you fill in the blank. And many times what we fail to see is that by placing contingencies on our faith, we leave it in a place of vulnerability to the devil. So David here, he says something so beautiful. He said that, that even if a host encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. You remember that time whenever the enemy came against Elisha and, and, and the servant was so fearful? 
And he prayed and he said, God, open up his eyes. Open up his eyes. Because the enemy was surrounded by the host of God's army. There was more with us than with them. And so many times we fail to see that, but as, as David, somebody who was a man after God's own heart, this is someone who would routinely let go of self so that he could have God. No contingency plan, no plan B, no, no if then, no conditions placed on God, just accepting God totally and completely. I love the fact whenever David sinned and Nathan came up to him and he told him the story about the sheep and the, and the old man that only had one, and David said, you know, he got all kinds of upset and, and he said, we got to find this guy. And Nathan said, you are that guy. You know what David did? He didn't stomp his feet. He didn't say, how dare you? He knew immediately the Spirit of God arrested his soul that very minute. He knew exactly that God was reading his mail. Heard somebody say, uh, somebody told me one time, Pastor, sometimes, you know, when you preach, you step on my toes. But I always heard if my, if, if my toes get stepped on, I, I, I shouldn't be leaving them out. And, you know, sometimes we, we leave our toes hanging out and the Lord speaks something. The Lord speaks something. And, and, and immediately, just like David, you are the man and, we re and the Lord reads our mail. Remember one time I was talking about the woman caught in adultery and I was talking about sin and I was talking about how God forgives and these things and after service this woman came up to me one time and she said, how dare you preach about me, you know, doing this and doing that. I said, I wasn't preaching about you, I was preaching this passage in the Bible. If it applies to you, it applies to you. That's not my problem, that's yours. But it wasn't personal, I hope you see that. But there's times, though, that the Word of God will read our mail. And, and God will bring those things, as the, as the saying goes, the, the roosters will come home. And, and, and when that happens, be like David. David just immediately said, yes, that's right. He knew it was true. He didn't fight with it. He didn't say, how dare you? I'm not coming to this church again. I'm not listening to this pastor again. He knew that was a, that was a man of God. You know, it took Nathan a lot, of, a lot of the Spirit of God to say the truth to the king because the king could, in one minute, he could say, hey, y'all, kill this guy. And David did that to many people. That's why, he didn't, that's why God didn't let him build the temple. He was a bloody man. If David didn't like somebody, he had him killed. And so Nathan speaks this word. David said, okay, you're right. Why? Because was, was, it, was it because Nathan was right or because God was right? Because God was right. It was because David knew he had set himself against God. And it was God's word. It was God's spirit that brought the conviction home. And that's what David needed, was that, that word of God. 
See, we don't need man's commandments. We don't need men's commandments. We don't need men's systems. We need the Word of God. The Word of God is what we need to bring that perfect con conviction to our souls. But when we've been convicted and we've been cleansed and we've been redeemed, and as David said, he had a new heart given. He, he renewed a right spirit in him. And when, when all that's been done, then you know heaven's on your side. And even if a whole host of enemy comes against you, you know they can't overtake you. He said, my heart will not fear. My heart will not fear. But what is it? This is what I want to get to. What is it that David said, in this will I be confident? In this will I be confident? What is it that he said? In verse number four, we have the answer. He said, one thing, this is what his, his confidence is in. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Can I paraphrase David here? When an enemy comes against me, I'm not going to fear because I have confidence in something. You know what my confidence is in? God has so changed me that all I desire to do is to seek his face, to be and dwell in his presence, that his spirit would live and dwell in me. That change that David felt on the inside gave him confidence in God on the outside. It was the transformation that God did internal that gave David the hope and the confidence for what was happening on the external. Do you see how beautiful that is? David, David's focus and his confidence was not on anything external. It was on what God did in his soul. And he knew if God did it in me, then God's in me and God's going to be my help in my hour of need. When the enemy presses on me, my hope is not in, well, I told God I would serve him if he did this, so he must come to my aid right now. His hope was not in that. His hope was in this reality. The spiritual light had been turned on. He, there was a time in his life when he didn't desire God, when he didn't desire the presence of God, when he didn't desire to be in the temple of God, when he didn't desire that God would live in him and, and the Spirit of God be in him. But the change took place. And when he became a lover of God's presence and a lover to dwell in the courts of God and to be with God, it was something that God changed in him. And he knew that if God changed his heart, if God renewed a right spirit within him, he knew that he belonged to God. And once you know that you belong to God, you know that all of heaven is behind you. You know that all heaven is, is, is mounting garrison around you, protecting you, keeping you, sustaining you. 
guarding you in all of your unwatchful hours. There's times that we lay our heads down unprayed. There's times that we go to work unprayed. There's times we get in our cars unprayed. There's times we enter into a relationship unprayed up. There's times that we get outside of where we need to be. And yet God in his provision, in his mercy, in his grace guards you even in your unwatchful hours. How many times, how many testimonies could we stand up and say you know what God's been good to me because there was so many times that I didn't pray but God came through there was so many times that I didn't press in but God got me in there was so many times I was falling apart but God held me up there was so many times I was ready to give up but God said you're not giving up I'm coming to your rescue there are so many times that God does that and it's not a contingent faith that finds that It is a real faith, a faith that stands on this one reality, what God changed in you, what God changed in you, the inward, listen, the inward presence of God, the inward dwelling of the Spirit of God, that you've been born again, that you're now a child of heaven, and that the Spirit of God resides in you. You know that when you call, He'll answer. He said, if my children call in my name, I will come. His ear is for His people. His arm is not short. He hasn't run out of power or strength. His eyesight is not blind. And He will come when His children call. Hallelujah. When His children call on Him, He will come. And this is something that a a contingency faith cannot touch. But it's only that living presence of God that finds this. And David hit it. David hit it. He got on it. He was all in it. And he was saying right here, that's what I put my confidence in. It doesn't matter how big, how bad, or how many the enemy is that comes against me. I know greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And he said that in the Old Testament, not in the New. How much more us? How much more us? When he didn't have the, pro- the promise of the comforter, the, the one that abides within, the one that would be filling us and baptizing us with the Holy Ghost, the one that would never leave us and never forsake us and would always guide us and comfort us and teach us and lead us into all truth. And God's goodness abides. You see that? His confidence I said in that, I said in that, that the enemy, the, the enemy will, will oftentimes present to you like Goliath. Come up in the face. Come up big and bad, right? How many times have you been face to face with the enemy? How many times have you been face to face with the enemy? Now, don't look to the left or to the right. Well, here's your Leonard Ravenhill quote, right? If your enemy has a social security number, you've got the wrong enemy. Our battle is in the spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal because our battle is not carnal. Come on now. But the enemy will sometimes square up and, and, and begin to seek to, to, to place fear upon the bride of Christ. Let me show you something in, in, in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Whenever Jesus is talking to the church here, we have the seven churches that Jesus is talking to. 
The church in Pergamos is the one we're going to come to. He says in verse number 13, I know thou works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know that Satan literally dwells in America, but I know his hand is inflicting demonic forces on this nation. In this church here, they, they, this church was planted in a place where Satan dwelled. How many of you think they, they had spiritual battles on their hands? Right? Do you remember what I told you? I've said it over, I've quoted that verse, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Even if, you, even if you, your church was planted in a place where Satan dwells, guess what? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Look at this next verse. But, see, they did good, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit fornication. Let me tell you something here. When, when Balaam and Balak came up to the children of God, he wanted this prophet to curse Israel. He wanted this prophet to curse Israel. Do you know that God wouldn't let him? The enemy cannot curse what God has blessed. The enemy cannot curse what God has blessed. Greater was God in Israel than the enemy without Israel. And every time he tried to curse Israel, it would come back. And this old prophet, he, he knew, there's no way that I can curse this nation because God's hand is on them. In other words, the enemy, even though the enemy was trying to come in the front door, he couldn't. He couldn't. So there was one avenue that he knew he could get Israel to fall. What did he do? He put stumbling blocks in front of them. What is that, Pastor? That is that, that he knew that if Israel stayed worshiping God, there's nothing he could do against Israel. You're Israel, by the way. Not the nation, but spiritually, you're Israel. You're spiritual Israel. But this old prophet knew that if Israel stayed hot for God, there was nothing he could do. What did he do then? Get them to compromise. Get them to compromise. Areas of compromise in the nation of Israel open the door for the devil to, to destroy lives. The enemy could not come front ways. Couldn't say, here, I'm the enemy. I'm coming to take you out. He can't do that. There's a bloodline he can't cross. You're blessed. You're highly favored. God will not allow the enemy to curse what he's blessed. But we step out of blessing when we compromise and live in sin. And the same thing, look, 
<clears throat> Israel is the natural branch. We're not natural. We were grafted in by faith. And if the natural branch experienced this, how much more us? You read this in Romans. But what I want you to see here is that the enemy's desire to curse Israel could not happen because they were blessed. So the only other avenue that the enemy had was to bring Israel into a place of compromise. And there's many ways that the enemy brings compromise in our lives. It's, it's through vices, it's through vanity, it's through worldliness, it's through lackadaisicalness, it's through laziness, it's through not being sober spiritually or literally. There's all kinds of different ways that the enemy can bring these things into our lives to compromise, to, to sin. I've seen people desire things that, you know, they just disregarded God's law they disregarded God's commandment they disregarded the laws even of the that their church had and they went and they did what they wanted to do and everybody just had to tough it out well God don't play that game God don't play that game God's not our faith can't be contingent it has to be confidence and so in our own lives we have to make sure that we don't have back doors open for the enemy I want you to see that, that, that the enemy could not come against this nation. But what did they do? They dangled girls in front of them. They dangled fresh meat in front of them, drinks in front of them. And, and one by one, those men of Israel began to sin, began to fall. So it wasn't the enemy's cursing that did it. It was their own compromise that did it. And in our own lives, if you're a child of God, in our own lives, if you're a child of God, the, the same thing happens for you. You're blessed. The enemy can't curse you. The enemy can't curse you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But you want to get in sin? Play, you know, there's a saying they have. It says, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Well, if you want to play with the darkness, guess what you get? You get darkness. Even though God is light, yes. In God is no darkness, yes. But if we play with the darkness, we invite the darkness in. And that's what happened to them right there. And Jesus even highlights this passage. You can read that over in the book of Numbers, like chapter 21 and 24 down through there. You, you can catch up on that. But, but Jesus brings this out right here because he's trying to get the church to see that the thing that happened to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was being applied by Jesus to the New Testament church right there. I say, oh, Pastor, that's an Old Testament passage. Yeah, but Jesus brought it into the New, and he applied it right at the front door of the church of Pergamos. And if it applied to that church, guess what? It applies to us. It applies to us. We're still in the church age. Last time I checked, Jesus hadn't come back yet. We're still in the church age. Amen? We're still in the church age. So... It was the, when the enemy came against David, it didn't matter how big the enemy was. He, was. he was full of God on the inside. There was no compromise there. But when David sinned and compromised, that's when he got taken out. Do you see the correlation? 
You see the correlation? Now, I want to share with you real briefly on what our confidence is in. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As you're turning there, I'll tell you, we'll, we'll go down into verse 15, 16, right in there. When the bottom falls out, we cannot place our confidence in contingency plans. Our confidence can't be in what we've done. It has to be in what God's done. Our confidence can't be in what we have. My confidence before God is not the fact that I'm a preacher or a teacher or a this or a that. My confidence is in what God has done. And that's what David's confidence was in. David's confidence was in the fact that God changed him so much that he loved to be in the house of God. He loved to be in his courts. He loved to be in that place where he could inquire in his temple. You know what that means? Inquiring in the temple that David was talking about? When he can just come up before God and just converse with him, talk with him. Just fill, fill out God. Just honor God. Talk with him. Communicate with him. As, as Paul teaches, praying without ceasing. Inquiring of the Lord is a heart to want to know somebody. A heart to want to know God is what he was saying. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul's going to show us here the inward change that only God can do, and this is what we can put our confidence in. In the day of adversity, in the day that the bottom falls out, Pastor, my bottom hadn't fallen out. Just wait. Sometimes I call it when the rug gets pulled out from under you. Sometimes I call it when the bottom falls out. It just may be that you're just precious, and the Lord just protects you, and you never have to go through a day of adversity. Well, I don't think that that's true. Because Jesus said that in this life we'll have what? Tribulation. But be of what? Good cheer. Because he's overcome it. He's overcome it. In this life we're going to have tribulation. We're going to have hardship. There's going to be times that we go through sorrow. That we go through pain. That we have more hurt than we want. And that we can even think we can handle. But God is greater and if you'll come to this place where you find confidence in what I'm about to share with you, you'll have confidence on that day. That though the world fall down around you, though the world stop spinning and the sun stop shining, this reality will carry you into eternity. What is it? What God's done in you. See, whenever Nicodemus came to Jesus and was asking him questions, Jesus didn't say, you're supposed to belong to this church. You need to have this kind of thing on the external. You need to have this kind of thing on the external. You need to have this kind of thing externally. No. He told Nicodemus, you've got to be born again spiritually. Jesus pointed to the inward in Nicodemus. He said, you've got to be born of the water and of the spirit. You've got to be born from the water and from above. You have to be born again. You have to be born physically, and you have to be born internally, spiritually. <clears throat> Nicodemus was blown away, but Nicodemus hung out, hung around, and followed Jesus all the way to the end. Amen? Which the end was actually the beginning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse number 15, it says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Listen closely. Verse 16, 
for which cause we faint not. How many times have you gone through situations in life where it felt like you was going to faint? Not talking about physically. Paul's not talking about physically fainting here. He's talking about being so overwhelmed with things that are going on in life that you feel like you're just about to fall out. Have you gone through those kinds of situations where it feels like you're going to faint? Emotionally? Psychologically? Spiritually? In your heart? You just feel like, I can't go on. Can't do this. I can't do this. Well, Paul's teaching here, there's something where he said, look, he said, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. It was an inward change. When, when the outward man perished, and, and, and you may not know this, but Paul oftentimes it says that he was so abused and so maligned and so mistreated that his face was permanently disfigured and he couldn't walk right. From the times that he was stoned, from the times that he was whipped, to the times that he was beaten, to those times that he was left for dead, all those times that all of that happened to Paul, he was so disfigured in his face and he couldn't walk right. But yet he was saying, Even though the outward man perishes, that's not what he's placing his confidence in. Because if that's what your confidence is in, guess what? You're going to faint. If the enemy begins to tear you up on the outside, and the outside is what you put your confidence in, you will faint. David knew this. Whenever Absalom set himself up to be king, and David had to run from his own son, It didn't change who David was on the inside, even though the situation on the outside was desperately bad. And there's times that we go through situations that are, if we we allow our minds to, to get drifting off of God, it'll cause you to faint. When you come up in a situation where you're burying a loved one, or whether you're saying goodbye to a job that you desperately need, or whether your health is failing you, whether things are going against you and not for you. If you focus on the external, fainting will happen. But Paul here is saying that's not what his focus is on. His focus is on something far greater than the external, far greater. He said the outward man perishes. Everybody was born with an outward man, and everybody's outward man has to be placed in a tomb. Everybody was born with an outer shell, and every outer shell has to go into the ground. Paul teaches later it's as a seed. Sown corruptible, raised incorruptible. From the time that Adam sinned, the external had this fate. The outward man perishes. Everybody that's ever born had to die. It's the way it is. But the inward man can never die. 
The inward man can never die. Because Paul later on goes on to say that, that though I be absent from the body, I will be present with the Lord. There's a separation that takes place between his body on the outside and what is on the inside. Though his body falls to the ground, he would be present with the Lord. So his confidence is not on the external extremities. It's not on the outward man because that man perishes. What is your confidence in, Paul? The inward. The inward man. That he's born again. That he's filled with the Spirit of God. And that he's renewed by that Spirit. How many times in his life was he renewed by the Spirit? What does it say there? Renewed how many times? When he needs it? When, when, when he goes out and he gets in hard times, then he comes back to that altar day by day. He said he's renewed day by day inwardly. See, there's a, there's a promise of God. There's a promise of God. He said that, that when you believe on him, Jesus said when you believe on me, that out of your belly will flow rivers of what? Living water. You know that that's not a one-time event? Jesus has the living waters available for you day by day. Those living waters are what renews you. It's not just the fact that you're born again. It's that there's living waters there. It just renews you. It just causes you to love the Lord. It causes you to come close to Him. It causes you to be filled with joy. It causes you to be filled with those fruits of the Spirit. But it is that inward man that's renewed day by day that is refreshed by the living water that comes through believing and holding to Jesus Christ. Though our outward man perish, our inward man drinks from the living water. That's what he's saying. My outward man is perishing, but my inner man is drinking from the fountain of life. From the river of living water, my inward man is swimming and in joy. And my inner man is getting stronger day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, drink by drink. I'm being refreshed and restored and renewed by the fountain of living water. The outward man perishes, but that inward man, new story. And that's what David found. And when, he's, when he was saying in Psalm 27, even when the enemy encamps against me and the enemy's coming against me, and, and, he, and, and I'm not going to fear. Why, David? Because I got something inside far greater than what's going on on the outside. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Amen? Contingency faith is whenever you, you and, and what happens when you have contingency faith is that you actually rob yourself of this kind of confidence because God doesn't honor contingency faith. Can you imagine somebody coming to Jesus? The same Jesus that said, let the dead bury their dead. Can you imagine somebody coming to Jesus and saying, I'll follow you as long as, you know, um, this sale for my house goes through. This is what we do when we buy houses, right? Contingency. I'll buy that house as long as my house sells. I'll come follow you as long as I can get rid of this and get rid of that. What Jesus told us was to count the cost and to take up our cross and follow him daily. 
And if you'll do that, you'll find the living waters bubbling up on the inside, refreshing that inward man day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. And that, that will give you confidence. That will give you confidence on the day of affliction. That will give you confidence on the day of affliction that you're God's and God's got you because God's in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you this evening and we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word and receive what the Spirit is speaking this evening. God, I pray that not one of us would find confidence in our flesh. Not one of us would find confidence in a contingency plan. But Lord, that we would be renewed by faith tonight. Even tonight, Lord, I pray that that fountain of living water would begin to flow in your people again.